Well, some good news and some bad news. The good news is because Josh has been a guest and shared some of his music and, and testimony today, I can't give you the full message I had hoped to give you. Yeah, that's also the good news. Okay. We all know that life is filled with journeys of hope. And they start when we're kids, right? That first day to school. You hope and pray you've got everything you need. How about that family vacation? Those always start with lots of hope. And as we know, things don't always live up to our hopes and expectations. One of the most hope-filled journeys we take, and hazardous, of course, is the walk down the aisle on our wedding day. One of my favorite wedding day stories is about a bride that was so anxious at the rehearsal, the pastor wasn't sure she'd make it all the way down the aisle. So he decided to give her a little reassurance, a little coaching. He said, look, you're going to be with your dad. And when the, when the organ strikes up and it's time for you to go, just focus on the aisle. Just focus on the aisle. Before you know it, you'll be halfway there. You look up and there's the altar. And just focus on that altar. And just, you'll take a breath and you'll see him. Then just focus on him. Well, the wedding day came. The organ music struck up. She headed down the aisle with her dad. And as she passed, everyone could hear her whispering under her breath, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Yeah, don't get your hopes up about that. <laughs> well, today we're going to take a look at another journey, another journey of hope. But in this case, the hopes were fulfilled. And it was the journey Jesus took into Jerusalem that final week of his life. We read, uh, and I think it's interesting, when, in the case of all our journeys, we hope we have what we need for that journey. And as you'll hear and see, Jesus had to make sure he had what he needed for his journey that day. Let's read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Jesus coming that day literally ignited the hopes of God's people and of his followers. And it was no accident. By telling his followers to go get him a donkey, the colt, the foal, right, that had never been ridden, he was already announcing to those closest to him, I have come for God's purpose. Any animal used for a sacred purpose could never have been used for any other. And notice Jesus has already made the arrangements. He knows exactly what he's doing. And by mounting 
that colt that had never been ridden before, Jesus is hearkening to the words of the prophet Zechariah, which had proclaimed centuries before the coming of God's anointed, the new king, literally the king of heaven. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The people get it. (laughs) They sense what's going on and they respond. How? By literally crying out the words of Psalm 118, which was a psalm that was considered to be a foretelling also of the coming of the great king. And so they cry out, Hosanna, which literally means, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession. Even the fact that they cut palm branches to wave was no accident. Just about 200 years before, one of the great Jewish military leaders of all time, a man named Judas Maccabees, had liberated the land of Judah from Greek rule after centuries and cleansed the temple and restored the worship of God's people there. The symbol of liberation he chose and which he even imprinted on the coins of God's people, the palm branch. This was explosive, symbolic action unfolding. And the religious leaders had a clue what Jesus was trying to communicate and convey. And so, what do we read? The religious leaders who were present there, the very ones who are planning and who will demand Jesus' death, demand that Jesus rebuke his followers in the crowd and try to silence them. And the Gospel of Luke alone has Jesus' unique response. Jesus doesn't falter. He doesn't flinch. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He didn't make that up. He is quoting, once again, from a prophet, the great prophet Habakkuk. His friends called him Chuck. And (laughs) Chuck lived in the days just before Jerusalem was besieged and destroyed and God's people were carried off into exile by another great empire, Babylon. And Habakkuk was given the prophecy to the corrupt religious leaders of his day. In chapter 2, verse 9, Alas for you who get evil gain for your houses. He's speaking of the powerful elite. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, right? Every voice of protest, they cut off. You have forfeited your life. The very stones will cry out from the wall and the plaster from the woodwork. Jesus is literally saying, you will not be able to silence God's voice in this world. You will not be able to stop God's work in this world. You are coming down. (laughs) And I am the one God has sent to do it. 
Well, the world was a mess in the days of Habakkuk. It was a mess in the days of Jesus. The world is still a mess today. Something has to give. And Jesus goes, the king of love, to give his life. And in just the stunning sovereignty and power of God, he goes not to conquer with violence. He goes to conquer the destructive forces of this world, the sin and brokenness that lies at the depth of the human heart with love. And by pouring out his life for us and for all on a cross, he gathers all the destructive evil and sin of this world upon his own head and upon his own shoulders. Even if it means a cross. And he says, if you want to know the love of God, come here. Come to me. See how God breaks down the walls and breaks down the barriers that separate us from the Father in heaven who loves us. And this is, this is the message. Jesus will stop at nothing. He will go every step, every inch to break down the walls and the barriers that separate us from God. He will take it all upon himself, our sin, our brokenness. He will do everything we need. Everything we need to know that nothing stands between us and the God of heaven, the God who loves us, the God who gave us life. He has done everything we need to experience the full measure of God's forgiveness and grace, the full measure of God's hope and joy. Now, Jesus also shows us that following God is not easy. It comes at a great cost. Standing up against the the hurtful, harmful, self-centered ways of this world, it isn't easy. Choose to live a loving, generous, sacrificial life in the face of the values of this world, it's costly. There is much to give up, and Jesus was willing to give it all for us. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is a good thing to do. It is the God thing to do. And here's one of the beauties of what Jesus does on this day. He lets us know that we can come with him. Everything he does for us, we can experience. And we can take part in what God desires to do. Notice, we don't just have to be bystanders and spectators. We can be part of God's work in this world. On that day, Jesus had to send his followers where? To someone Jesus knew and had met and had made arrangements, right? Someone who was willing to release their donkey, their animals, for his work. Wow. And what was the phrase? How would they know if it was time to release the gift of their lives for God's work? The phrase, the Lord needs it. And here's one of the powerful little uncovered messages in this text. We get to be part of what God is doing in this world. The Lord needs us. We get to be part of it. Maybe not with a donkey, y'all. Right? But with our time, with the resources of our lives, with our hearts, with our voices, with our hands, we get to be part of it. And it is stunning what God can do when we say, yes, Lord, yes. 
Let me give you an example of an astounding journey of hope that only God could have crafted. I'm going to tell you about a, a Sunday school teacher whose name you probably never heard. It's Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher not far from Boston in a little church. And one day there comes to his Sunday school class on a Sunday morning a shoe clerk who has just moved into the area. He's really good at selling shoes. He has no formal education at all. And this Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher, takes him under his wing and he leads him to Christ. The name of that shoe clerk? Dwight Moody. Does that name ring a bell? He is one of the greatest evangelists and educators of young men and young Christian men and women of the last 200 years. His life reached hundreds of thousands. Now, Dwight Moody moved on and he inspired a young preacher named Frederick Meyer to begin sharing the gospel on college campuses. Well, Frederick Meyer inspired a man named J. Wilbur Chapman, who was part of the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA, to sponsor um, a, a conference so that people could come and hear uh, the gospel, the good news. And uh, to uh, preach at that conference, he brought a retired baseball player turned evangelist named Billy Sunday. Does that name ring a bell? Right? Well, that... That conference was so well, so many thousands responded and gave their lives to Christ, they said, let's bring in someone else. So they brought in a guy named Mordecai Ham. Don't know what his nickname was. I hope it was Skip or something. But anyway. Now, some young people were really inspired to invite their friends to this next evangelistic conference. And they had this tall, lanky young friend who grew up on a dairy farm near North, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. And they convinced him to come to that conference and to hear Mordecai Ham share the gospel. He gave his life to Christ. You see his picture? Some of you know it already. Billy Graham. In less than a span of 100 years... The work of a faithful Sunday school teacher in a small town in Massachusetts touched the lives of all these people and multiplied the impact of that Sunday school teacher opening his scriptures to teenagers from a, a small group in a room to millions across this world. Only God could do that. Let me tell you about another journey of hope. It's a journey our kids have been taking for seven years. Why are kids from... You know, uh, the suburbs uh, uh, and small towns of P Portland, Oregon, heading down to San Francisco to reach out to at-risk kids from one of the poorest neighborhoods on the West Coast. Why? Why? In the hopes that somehow, someway, by sharing the love of Christ, will make an impact in the lives of these children. And they've been doing this now for seven years. And last year when they heard the summer camp might not happen, they said, we can't let that go down. And they said, we'll just give up our summer then to make it happen. But we need your help. And you're stepping up. And it's going to happen. Now the kids they serve there live in one of the right, poorest, most violent, at-risk neighborhoods on the West Coast. These are tough, hard kids. They've experienced a ton. And it's not easy to spend five days in a row with them, always. It takes divine measures of patience, kindness, goodness, right? 
It takes divine measures of love, a love that believes all things, endures all things, bears all things, and hopes all things. Why do they do it? Because they're following Jesus, and they're trusting that God will touch a life here and touch a life there, and who knows what will happen. A year and a half ago, I had an opportunity to travel with two Christchurch friends, Dave and Gene Nevels, to Ethiopia, halfway around the world, just to witness what God was doing among the people there. Uh, not in the big cities, but like we drove from the big city five hours into the mountainsides, some of the poorest little villages and hamlets in the world. And on one occasion, we met a, a lay evangelist, no formal education, named Tomaru. He and his wife live in a, in a grass hut, literally. He just has the clothes on his back, the shoes on his feet, right? His Bible. And he hikes up into the hills to these remote areas to greet people in working in the fields and to knock on huts and simply to befriend them, to get to know them and start little Bible studies, little not house but hut Bible studies, right? And he is having a remarkable impact. In fact, the day we went up there, we gathered with him and his pastor on a hillside um, and there were too many people to fit in the hut. And so we had to climb up through a cornfield on the hillside where a group of, what, 35, 40 people gathered. 20 of them had come to be baptized and to give their life to Christ that day. Unbelievable. And this lay evangelist was so humble, and this pastor so humble, they allowed me to be part of the baptisms as an ambassador from you, this place. And what we left, and of course we asked, you know, what can we do for you? What can our church family do for you? Do you know what Tomaro and his wife needed? They had no means of transportation. Cars aren't helpful in those hillsides. Even motorcycles don't work. You know what they needed? And you know what we gave them? A donkey. I kid you not. A donkey. A lay evangelist is riding the hillsides of Ethiopia, reaching people with the message of God's love in Christ on the back of a donkey. Who knows how many lives God will impact because we were willing to reach out and to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. So how about you? How about you? You all have a palm today, right? See? This, this is a little gift for you this week. This palm doesn't have much life left, right? And, it's, and they're also only so long, kind of like life. We never know. And, you know, life takes a lot of bends and twists and turns. And sometimes you wonder, what's going to happen? You know, what, what does God possibly have in mind with all those breaks and bends and twists and turns? You know, can God make anything, make sense of any of this? And what do we discover time and time again? When we say yes to God, God is able to take our lives and lead us to the place where love happens. I'm going to set this down and pick up the pretty one. (laughs) What did Chris say, or Josh say in his song today? Don't you dare say you're not enough. Don't you dare say you're giving up. Your life, with all its twists and turns, with all its breaks and bends, can lead someone 
to the place where they experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to believe with all our hearts that the love we have come to experience in Christ is real, that he has given us a hope we can experience today, hope that will literally last forever. And loving God, encourage us and inspire us to believe that as we say yes to him, as we follow Jesus, even though the way isn't easy, even though we face disappointments and setbacks along the way, because you are the God at work in our lives, others will come to see and to experience that same love, that same hope in Christ Jesus, your son. Let it be, Lord. Hosanna. In Jesus' name. Amen.